Hey everybody, we are Robert, Martin, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters, listeners. I'm Robert. I'm Martin. And I'm Francis. And this week we are back to our Code of Honor episode, our favorite words of wisdom, sayings that we like, things that we like to live by, or just things that we think are just funny as hell. Yeah. Just depends. So this is episode 42. The answer to life, the universe, and everything. So this has got to be a good episode, because it is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. So, what is... Let's see, Martin, I believe you had something really big you wanted to start with. Was that not true? Or do we want to start with Francis? Because I'm going to go last. Well, I'm willing to Because I'm in the captain's chair. I can do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think you're right. This is, going to be, uh, this is going to be quite the episode, because Francis just filled all of our glasses, uh, and... Uh, Woo doggies! He filled them all right. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> That's right. We're back with some 1792 again. That's from right. The, uh, the great folks at Blackout Bourbon. Blackout Bourbon. Yeah, we're still, we're still yeah. Still so this, this was not two fingers. This is about six fingers worth of bourbon. So it, this is going to be a good episode. Well, we're going to be fueled up. But thank you, Robert. I did want to start. And my quote today. Let me give you some setup. It's from the film The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly. Excellent. So, uh, starring, of course, Clint Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef, and Eli Wallach. They mm -hmm. play uh, Blondie, or the man with no name. Uh, Lee Van Cleef plays Angel Eyes, and Eli Wallach is Tuco. In the role of Tuco, I believe it says <laughs> in the credits, yes. Yes, and directed by Sergio Leone, and I'm going to give him credit as a screenwriter as well. And this comes towards the end of the film. It is a prequel to the other two Man with no name, spaghetti western films, a uh, few dollars more, and a fistful of and dollars. A fistful of dollars. I'm sorry, you you got it done the fistful right. Fistful of dollars was first, uh, and, and, and then for a few, few dollars more. For a few dollars more, a fistful of dollars is basically Akira Kurosawa's Ujimbo. That's correct. We're going to eventually be talking about uh, samurai movies in the <laughs> cinema, and that's going to come out again. Yeah, because that's it was a direct steal. Uh, Leone lost the lost the suit over that. <laughs> yes. But it's yes. still a great movie, both yes. of them are. Yeah, the first, the first Spaghetti Western, the first Clint Eastwood Man with No Name film is lifted. Uh, it's put it politely. Yeah, yeah, that's putting it politely. It's a direct steal, yes. Yeah. But this is, uh, this is actually the third film in the trilogy, but it is a prequel. It's set during the Civil War. All three men are on the trail of a cache of Confederate gold in a cemetery. Ah. And they have the big three-way gunfight, which... Um, Clint Eastwood as Blondie wins by killing Lee Van Cleef's angel eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and he has a bit of an advantage in the gunfight in that he has already emptied Tuco's gun. Unbeknownst oh. to Tuco. That's right. That so, does help you win. <laughs> so he already knows he only has to beat one guy. He just has to beat angel eyes. And the line is, uh, it comes at this point, and the line is, you see in this world there are two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns and those who dig. So that always strikes me um, as a line that I try to keep in my mind for a couple of reasons. On one level, you know, it's not all that different from just the Boy Scout motto, be prepared. Yeah, in know, a different way. but <laughs> or, or keep your powder dry, I think is a Royal Navy Thing, right? Is, that's yeah. uh -huh. So on one level it's that, but on another level, it's also a statement 
about that a, a people with freedom to arm themselves are full citizens. Uh-huh. And those without are not. Are, are subjugatable? Yes. And so in thinking about this quote and doing a little further digging and research and a couple of things in my brain, here's another way of saying it. Any unarmed people are slaves or are subject to slavery at any given moment. If the guns are taken out of the hands of the people and only the pigs have guns, then it's off to the concentration camps, the gas chambers, or whatever the fascists in America come up with. One of the democratic rights of the United States, the Second Amendment to the Constitution, gives the people the right to bear arms. However, there is a greater right, the right of human dignity that gives all men the right to defend themselves. Human dignity. You know I love that. Absolutely. That's Huey Newton. So not too many people, you know, are in between, or well, I guess that's the wrong way to phrase it, but that puts... Huey Newton and, and Clint Eastwood, and you know that makes for they're, they're both saying the same thing, and they both come from completely different positions. Yes, well, you there, know, there you go, Francis. That's a better way to say it. And also, I'll, I'll again, I'm quoting, so I want to apologize. Uh, and I don't ever refer to members of law enforcement as pigs, but I wanted to give the quote right, right, from Huey of course, Newton. that's right. So the thing I like about uh, this quote that you've chosen is that it has a lot of philosophical depth. And you know, we, tend, we love the philosophy. We tend to go there, don't we? That's what makes our quotes so good. Usually. Yeah. So this concept that there are two kinds of people, those who have the guns and those who dig. That's also, to me, my first take on that is that it's a warning. Yep. Oh, yeah. It it's is a warning. Tale. Because if you don't have power, because essentially it's about those who have power and those who don't. And I take it as if you let... Those of power, and in today's world, we tend to think of that as the state. And generally speaking, uh, for the 20th century and the 21st century, that's true. Prior to that, that might have been individual uh, regimes. They might have been monarch-based. Might have been generals like Napoleon, plantation owners, plantation owners. Well, that's, yeah, another, that's another great there's example large of it. Power, and then there's, there's localized small power. power. Yeah. So, or just you know, corrupt governments. I mean, you look at uh, 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 who was the uh, corrupt governor in Louisiana. Huey Long. Huey Long. Huey Long. Yeah, or, that's a, or even a Bull Connor. A Bull Connor, yeah. Are you talking about somebody that had power over, again, what, what Huey Newton's talking about. It, those those were the fascists that he's responding to. Well, exactly. And, and that kind of goes back to the feudal system, too, because that kind of localizes your corruption. Right. And if you have the, the weapons, whether it be swords or guns, mm-hmm. you can then systematize and legalize, and by legalize, I mean write the laws. Mm-hmm. To keep those with shovels in the, the you know, keep them digging. Well, yeah. And you may not even let them have shovels, because shovels can be dangerous weapons, too. Well, yeah, that's the heart of feudalism. That was the Exactly, yeah. exactly. It was those who you have can, the might. That's how corrupt. Russia had serfs. Mm-hmm. That's how there were uh, the peasants in medieval Europe, because they became tied to the landowners. Mm-hmm. So it's not just who has military power. But who has the ability to own things has a great deal to do with that. If you can own something, that's a bit of power unto itself. Yeah, well, then you're obliged to defend that, too, if you own it. Yes, because if you don't, you won't keep it. you have the right to, as well. You are really on to something, because that's another piece of this for me, too, is 
property ownership is the heart of freedom. Yes, absolutely. It's the beating heart. If you are not permitted to own property, there is no freedom. You have feudalism. Yeah, or Uh, something similar or communism. You know, people wouldn't think it today, but that is something that is enshrined in church teaching as well. Yes, is that the ability of a man to own his own property, to own his land, his you know, own himself, is very much. An important part of how we look at humanity. That's right. It's why there is dignity in work, because it, the implication there is that you own the fruits of your labor. Yep. Right. Because if you don't, there's no dignity yeah. in that. That's right. In a free society, with surrounded by others who do the same. Yes, that that is the implication. There's a society of free men, right, who can own property and use that responsibly to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Correct. And it's. I, I just I have this perception. Perhaps I'm overplaying it, but our modern world seems driven towards pushing people into the cities. Yes, into absolutely. A, into apartments, making the people landless. That's been going on since the 1870s. Yeah, since the Industrial but Revolution. It's only been recently that populations of cities actually has now. Come exceeded the it's population. A yeah, hit that tipping point. So I just feel like that there's an acceleration of pressure that when you there's so many restrictions on banking, so many restrictions on loaning that it just feels like there's this a stronger and stronger drive to not just make us landless, but to push us to where some kind of regulated entity owns where we live. Well, it's not even uh, ju- it's not just that. Uh, this drive, whether it's intentional or not, the result is that economically, while we may have a great deal of say where we choose to work because we can apply where we want mm-hmm. to, and you know that's a, a free exchange. They want to hire yeah. us, we accept the job. Yeah. But that's just it. It's a job. We are driven to become employees, not owners. That's where the church has the biggest problem with modern capitalism, because we do not practice a pure form of capitalism, although a former pastor of mine would argue that what we have is the result of pure capitalism, because big business creates big government, because it uses big government to stay big business. Yeah, economies uh, of scale tend to be self-perpetuating. They do. Uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt would probably look at the modern society of how so few corporations control so much and want to know where the hell are the trust busters? Right. Which you know, he he slayed a few of those dragons before, he did. and yet they have repopulated. Right. They have managed to work around the laws so that legally it is to our benefit because it's the easiest path to choose to be employees, to choose to dig the ditches. Yeah. So they but may not be guns, but we're still yeah. digging the ditches. But if you if you take a person's property away, push that person into an apartment that's owned by a bank, that's regulated by the government, then guess yep. what? The government gets to decide how you live in that apartment. Yeah. Um, but... Here's to breaking up Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Since it feels like Disney owns everything right now, 
feels like it, but it's really entertainment wise, they're certainly the big dog. I mean, as soon as they buy Sony, then they own everything, right? Pretty close. Well, Warner Brothers owns a great, huge piece. Yeah, uh, Disney will never be able to buy Warner Brothers because they will never be able to own Marvel and DC. I just don't think you that say that. What? Oh, that would set the world a turning. Can you imagine Superman and so Spider-Man some... together? Uh, take me away. Oh, then a one take... shot. They've done that. Well, I know, but yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's not. It's not the norm, right? You know, I'm sorry. Ta- take me away, Calgon. I don't want any part of that. So well, yes, yeah, so we definitely need to find some enterprising lawyers that want to take on Disney and break up that yes. that entertainment monopoly. Yeah, but you know, it's it's a great. It sounds like a cheesy quote on one hand. But there's so much depth Boy, there, and truth yeah, there. Yeah, it's 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 just this cool Clint Eastwood line. He has right this whole cinematic. It's history not of a all gun these nut great thing. things, but it's that's there's two kinds mm-hmm. of people: those with loaded guns and those who dig. And boys, make sure you all have, are the type to have loaded guns. That's the only way to preserve your freedom. Yeah. Amen. Wow, that's deep. Okay, you Francis, uh, that's a tough. Road to follow, but it, it uh, is. I, I think yeah, because I started with Clint Eastwood, and then I ended up at Huey Newton. So you you got some some ground to cover here. Well, right? I tell you, well, I'm big I'm, shoes to fill. That's right. That's right. Uh, you you went really well with that. I'm gonna, I'm going to steal from a movie as well uh, from the '60s, actually. Uh, and I wasn't sure I was going to do this until you kind of got into this. I realized this is a very good quote. You remember the movie Lawrence of Arabia? Love it. Yeah, wonderful movie. Uh, Sir David Lean. Uh, it's still considered one of the greatest motion pictures ever made. Uh, and, and part of it was well, there's a thousand reasons why yeah, cinematography cinematography the is unbeatable. It was Peter O'Toole's first movie. It made him a star. Uh, but it's got a it was well written, and there's lots of pieces in it. It's pretty historically accurate. It's pretty character ac- accurate for Lawrence T. E. Lawrence Lawrence of Arabia. And there's a moment in the movie early on where Lawrence is basically stranded in the desert. It's very early, and he encounters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Omar Sharif, a very young Omar Sharif, who plays uh, uh, Sharif Ali is the name of his name. It's over a well that it Ali, Omar Sharif, shoots uh, another Bedouin tribesman who is going to take water from the well, which he says is his. And Lawrence witnesses all this. And they come into this argument, and it's so amazingly well done. And there's a quotation that Lawrence makes. It's about the Arab people at the time, but I'm going to extrapolate it and make it about all people. But he says, to because of this, the fact that Ali would shoot a man for trying to take water in the desert because he owns the water. He says to him, Sharif Ali, as long as the Arabs fight tribe against tribe, so long will they be a little people, a silly people, greedy, barbarous, and cruel as you are. That quotation comes back later uh, when Alec Guinness, who is Prince Faisal, uses those same words again back to Lawrence, explaining, so you think we're this. Let me explain to you that we're not. And that's kind of part of the story. But that quotation, so long as you're fighting against each other. That's a huge part of the backstory of that World War I campaign. That's correct. In that the Europeans see them all as Arabs. That's correct. All the same. But the Arabs see themselves very differently. That's correct. And very tribal. Lawrence gets that. Yes. And that's and, and the audience gets it too, because as I said, this is early in the movie. He recognizes these are not a monolithic people like we think. They are extremely diverse, and what's worse, it's their divisions that has kept them digging. Digging. To because, use your terms. Uh, Sheriff Ali is Harith. 
Uh-huh. And out of Abu Tai is Howie Tat. Uh-huh. So uh, I've just actually watched some of this movie, so it's I tremendous. Picked a, I picked a good one to, to pick uh, from. It's it. eventually what splits them apart. Uh, at the end, the, yeah. uh, the Arab Council, when they marched into Damascus, and this part's not terribly historically accurate, but um, Allenby, at the head of the um, British Army right. on this campaign, they've gone through Jerusalem, he kind of lets the Arab army beat him to Damascus mm-hmm. a little. He's giving, he's giving Lawrence a little bit of leeway, mm-hmm. even though the Sykes-Picot agreement is already in the bag, right. which is going to divide the Middle East up right. uh, amongst all the European powers. But he's trying to give Lawrence and the Arabs a little bit of breathing space to try to set up this united Arab uh, state butting up against what is the, you know, the butt-end remnant of the Ottoman Empire. Right. And Sorry. the tribalism eventually undoes them. Exactly. They, they can't get it together. Um, the telephones don't work yeah. because the generators have burned, and now there's another fire, and there's no pressure in the water hoses. And Lawrence says, well, then you carry the water. And the Arab says, my tribe does not carry water. Mm-hmm. Damascus is basically going to burn because they can't they get cannot, it together they, enough. They cannot get past these preconceptions that they hold so about dear the other about the about the others. And ultimately, this is this is a argument against tribalism and partisanship. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's kind of why I think this is such a great quotation because it reminds us. As citizens of the world that we live in today, and you can take that at any time and any place, but ultimately, the reason we fail at the things we fail at has a lot to do with, as you say, we can't get together. We can't get our shit together. We can't We're too past. worried about us versus them yep. to ever accomplish anything meaningful. Well, I was wondering if you were ever going to get there, because, I mean, don't get me wrong, all the backstory was very interesting. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking... I hope they get to it because otherwise I'm gonna have to to, to do not it. Off, not off, yeah. Um, no, right. not not off, but no. I, I just uh, I was getting there because because it's important to me. To do the that's the that's the heart of that right. message. It's not so much, you know, that happened a hundred years ago. Yeah. So yes, that's important because you know what it sets up for the 20th century. But there's a lesson there, and that's the whole point of code of honor. Right. Yeah. Exactly. This is not a historical lesson on what happened. Then. This is a lesson for today. And exactly. we see it played out in American politics especially. But we're also seeing it still being played out in European politics. Sure. And we're seeing it played out in the Middle East and in Africa. We're seeing it played out everywhere. And it's never going to go away entirely. Don't get me wrong. But the dangerous thing is what happens within one country. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's where we are today. <laughs> Ironically, we were just lamenting this before we started recording this episode about how... We've gotten into this us for... I mean, we talk about this a lot on this show. Uh, you go back enough times, I'm sure you can find it two or three times, about how you don't make deals with the devil. Right. And that's that's part and parcel of... That's exactly what's going on yeah. in this movie around this quote. They you don't make a deal with the, the devil. other as the devil. That's exactly. right. We don't demonize another tribe. There's no way to make an agreement. That's exactly. Right. And so American politics are this way. And... I think a lot of it has to do with that identity policy, which is you know tribalism. It's exactly what we're trying exactly to say. It's a different about. name for it. Right. And it, 
when it gets to the point where the tribalism is more important than the cultural identity, because realistically, now I'm sure there are lots of differences, but there's a bigger shared culture there than the tribalism is willing to recognize. Oh, yeah. They and are their own worst enemy in that. Exactly. Well, and we are too. And we are too. We have a huge shared culture in our country, certainly in Europe. And yet, when we dilute that uh, without enriching it, and see, that's the difference. Mm -hmm. We used to assimilate and incorporate and embrace all three things that came to this country from other countries. Whether the Irish brought them or the Italians or the Germans, it doesn't matter. Vietnamese, Chinese, Chinese, whatever. We don't do that anymore. Now, and whether it's right or wrong, it's just a symptom. I'm not passing judgment on whether it's right or wrong. Uh, there are multi-language government forms to account for everything. And while, yes, I laud that in some ways, it's a symptom of a bigger problem in that we are encouraging the differences rather than encouraging the unity uh-huh. you can embrace you can still have differences and be unified you know irish and sure. italian and chinese all of those cultures mm-hmm. retained a lot of identity mm-hmm. and that's what you may think well how different are the italians and the irish and the germans well when each group came to this country they were pretty damn different yeah. that's right they were all persecuted and they were all persecuted that's right and so the same thing with the Chinese and uh-huh. the Japanese when they came, and yet, you know... Any, any, uh, any, anything anybody that's different, this happens to, but eventually they assimilate, they incorporate, and it all gets embraced. Yeah. Who doesn't love Chinese food? Granted, most of the Chinese food we eat in this country is not really Chinese food. <laughs> it's very, very I, I, I get but, that. Yeah. But we think it is. Uh, there's a better... There's a way to, to embrace the differences without making the differences the only point. Well, that is the essential definition of tribalism. Yeah. It's a negative word. It's intended it to be, yeah. uh, we circle the wagons and only, you know, it, we ghettoize ourselves. Only yes. our way is correct. And implicit in that is your way is demonized. Yes. And there's the problem. We, we don't live and let live yeah. at all. It's funny how tribalism is a... is. A negative context, but at the same time, today assimilation is a word that's has a negative context. Right, and it should. It should. It's it should. tied up with cultural appropriation. Yeah, it's yeah. like there's nothing wrong with liking Chinese food. I mean, that's not cultural appropriation. You know, our snakes and otters' favorite restaurant is a Chinese restaurant owned by a Thai woman. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. There's nothing wrong with it. Just you know, embrace these differences. But I think also, at the same time, there's a difference between sovereignty and tribalism. Yes. Yeah. Sovereignty is something to preserve, while at the same time, if there is a common goal, set aside the tribalism. Yes. Well, that's what this quotation is talking about, is that if you want, you can only achieve anything for good if you work together. Right. The smaller the group that you limit your working together with, the smaller the good that you can achieve. That's exactly right. And that's what Lawrence was saying in that quote. The sovereignty issue is, I think, a, another key thing. That's something you're seeing in Europe where sovereignty 
is ceded to some of the groups that have come into uh, in France and Great Britain especially. There are no-go zones for police. There are places where, and again, it's, it just happens to be that it is about Arabs uh, or Muslims in general, uh, that Sharia law, not full Sharia law, but there are Sharia courts that have been allowed to adjudicate cases outside of the national system. That is an attack on sovereignty. Now, and I'm not passing judgment on whether or not the Sharia courts or Sharia law are good or bad. I don't happen to think they are, but that's not the point. And they are, you are embracing a different authority inside your country. That's right, in a, in a civil matter. In a civil matter, this yes. Is, these are not religious issues that are done of, yes. on their own and don't carry penalties. Although there is, death. but for, for a Muslim who uh, is for Sharia law, they are, it's, it's, they are it's the same. There is no thing. difference. Right. Yeah, um, and, and, and you know, Brexit's not tribalism. No, it, it's a sovereignty thing. While at the same time, if there is a common goal, I think Britain could still work with the rest of Europe. Just because you have your sovereignty doesn't mean you can't support combined military efforts. They're still part of NATO. Like yeah, still part of NATO. Still we aren't part of the European Union, European Union. So, and we can work with them we can trade with them mm -hmm. so there's no reason why they can't and maybe it would be a different thing if they were part of the continent directly but being an island nation uh, it's a little bit easier for them i think to to be able to do that so wow so that's a i mean yeah it's very interesting you know the the, the mind of the people perhaps you can read too much into this but the the mind of the people seems to be at this moment very much a sovereignty place. The, the Brits are in a place where we want our sovereignty back. I think you could say that in popular politics today in the U.S., it's about sovereignty. So I think it is, you do have to be careful that that doesn't spill into tribalism, but I do think it is a separate impulse. I'm not... Can you give me an example of how you think in the U.S. is sovereignty? Because I'm not entirely sure I follow that. Well, it's it's the desire for immigration restrictions. Okay, is a sovereignty issue. Honestly, I, I I don't know. I think that might be more of a tribalism thing, uh, wanting to 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 keep. It's probably both. It's a little yeah. It's gonna this, be both. This is, a, this is a Trevor Slattery thing. It's complicated. It's, it's complicated. It's complicated. That's true. It is. It's a fine line. That because, yes, there is the issue of the border control. A sovereign nation has to be able to control their if borders. If you don't have a border, you have no sovereignty anymore. Yeah. But on the other hand, you are very explicitly excluding brown people of a certain faith. Uh, that always looks bad. Yes. Uh, well, because it is bad. <laughs> well, if that, if that is the reason why. That's correct. That's right. Especially yeah. if that's the primary reason why. I don't know if that is always the primary yes. reason. I think it does have a lot to do with it in a I lot of groups. for some it is. In I mean, a lot of groups. Yeah. Not I mean, all. Populism walks that tribalism line. It just does. It does. And I think it does a disservice to all of us. Really oh, absolutely. Does. And it's why populism has rarely had its moment in U.S. politics. Uh, yeah, it, never any sustainable ones. Yeah, it yeah. usually is an ugly moment when it happens. Yes, yeah, correct. Uh, the know nothings in the eighteen hundreds. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's just they. Be, it's it, it's a very dangerous thing because well, we we tend to side with the sinful side of ourselves, and it's never a good thing when we do that. Oh wow, that is a, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Perfect That's because 
that's going to tie into the quote that I have. Well, that, lay it upon us, sir. Yes, it's your turn. Go for it. So, this is one I put on my list. It was kind of a joke because we used to to say it as a you know just as a funny thing. But more and more, I've come to embrace this because it has a philosophical truth. And I'm going to use the word liberal in this quote. But I do not mean this as a political liberal. I do not mean Democrats. You mean as defined as that which someone who allows stuff. Well, not so much that, because it is about embracing, you're talking about embracing the sinful. Right. Uh, a liberal philosophy always has, at least partially, at its core, something about my freedom. Okay. Okay. And that is very, very much uh, at the core of democratic politics over abortion. Yeah. Freedom, you can't tell me to do what, you're, what I can do in my body. Right. But it's also at the core of conservative and Republican economics. You shouldn't be able to tell me what I do with my money. Okay? Those are both very liberal philosophies. Right. Politics aside, they're liberal philosophies. Right. Classical liberalism. Classical, yes. Classical There's liberalism. The That's yes. what, yeah, okay. So again, you know, those are trigger words. And I think yeah. trying to... You, you are your own person. You are not the property of a sovereign. Right. Is, is classical liberalism. Right. And, and, I'm, and, and I'm not saying that classical liberalism is a bad thing because these, these are very much truths. Because abortion aside, if I can't do what I want with my body, in other words, if I can't go where I want to go, work where I want to work, marry whom I want to marry, that's a serious moral issue. If I can't choose what I do with my own money, what I want to spend it on, again, assuming that it is not illegal, uh, and that I am not harming someone with it, you know, and so on and so on. Yes, those are very good and proper truths, but we are also, they're also very much extremes the way they're expressed. So again, I just want to get out of the way that I'm not talking about political liberalism. Gotcha. Not directly, but you can also take it there. So a liberal is someone whose interests aren't at stake at the moment. Now, we used to laugh about that when we were younger. Mm -hmm. uh, who, who, who says it? Uh, it came from a poster I had. Okay. Uh, it was about Republicans. It was Republicans and had all these different quotes on it. And it got it back, I don't know, I think it was in college when I first got it, back when I was much more into politics than I am now. And that's someone that's, something that's always stuck with me, but it's also stuck with me more and more as I am more attuned to philosophical meanings. Because it is so true. It, the very definition of a liberal is someone whose interests are not at stake at the moment. Because as soon as your interests are at stake, you want to conserve them. <laughs> well, that's very true, yeah. It's At the heart of that is what you were talking about. We always choose the sinful when we were talking about the tribalism. Right. Well, tribalism does. I don't say... Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about the tribalism. So... That is a dangerous thing oh, yeah. because if we only care about the issues when our interests are at stake, that is an outgrowth of the tribalism uh -huh. or and it also feeds the tribalism. That's right. Because we only have common cause with those that have common interests. That is, by definition, a form of tribalism. Yeah. We are no longer our brother's keeper. Correct. Uh, to, to steal from Genesis. Right. A libertarian, a full-on libertarian is the most liberal of philosophies that there are. Now, most libertarians would hate me for saying that. Well, because they're reading the word liberal differently. They're reading the word liberal. But philosophically, 
they would be the most liberal because a true libertarian would say, I want you in my bedroom. I don't care about abortion. If I don't want one, I'm not going to have one. I don't want the government messing around with my taxes. They should leave me alone. Let me do what I want on my land. All of these things. Those are personal interests, and they only care about them when they're endangered. And that's part of our problem today, is that the things that we, that we care about are only the ones that we have a personal stake in, it seems. And that's a dangerous thing, because we no longer see that other people's concerns are valid. And that's the biggest problem. We don't look beyond ourselves. We no, which we can have honest, true disagreement on what we should do about something uh, because we come from different places sometimes. We should be able to. We should be able to. That's but right. we don't anymore. Well, I would I very rarely. Yeah. Uh, well, those that do so, I believe, are the true visionaries. They are often shouted out and marginalized because they, don't lead, they lead to compromise and solutions. And I don't think we want that. I think we want the Colosseum. We want the blood. We sport. want to win at all costs. That's correct. Again, arms raised in victory. That's all we care about. When things have become personal, which is at the heart of this, the liberals, who's is someone whose interests are not at stake at the moment, it's all personal. And the moment it becomes personal, I could give a flying Don't say it. Rat's ass about you. Thank you. I mean, I'm the only one that's broken the F-bomb before. Let's not make that another one. But I really wanted to because that really, you know. It does work, yes. But that's, at at one time I would have embraced this politically. You know, that liberals, someone whose interests are not at stake. From the sense that, well, of course, that means that, you know, they're for socialism and communism and, you know, free stuff for everybody. But on the political right, you see the same thing. Sure, absolutely. It's just different issues. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I weep for my country because we are all liberals. There are almost no conservatives philosophically. Hmm. I don't mean big C yeah, conservatives. It's, I it's, mean philosophically. Yeah. And it's super tough because at some point, are there any solutions left? There may not be solutions. Uh, sometimes I feel like, uh, I think it's a Mencken, H.L. Mencken thing. It's uh, the point of popular politics is to present the public with an endless series of hobgoblins, each of them imaginary, so that the public is clamorous to be led to safety. That's not completely the... Well, it's almost like... But it's like, are there any real problems to deal with in a nation this prosperous? Well, uh, well, obviously, yes, there are. Yeah. Sure. But the question is, how many of them have been artificially created and perpetuated? Exactly. How many are those hobgoblins, as you say? Well, I mean, and, and there how, are real problems, but the hobgoblins are real, but it's... But government causes a problem, and then we look back to government to solve the problem. Exactly. And, and Never let a crisis go to waste. Yeah, at some point, it's like, you know what? I think as PJ works is, you know, when are we done? It's like Emma said, don't we have enough? Yeah, it's like, when are we done? You know, sometimes it's good that Congress is deadlocked. They can't yeah. screw anything up. Well, um, and, and it for someone like me, um, you know, guys, I, I, listeners, I'll just mention, not only did I bring up 
a Clint Eastwood about guns and a Huey Newton about guns. I wore my Second Amendment shirt to the recording. Session. I almost mentioned that. Yes. So yes, right here the text, the actual text of the Second Amendment is on my chest. And it's not that long. Um, Neither is his chest. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Centurion. Like it. Like it. Sorry. Props, dog. Props. <laughs> Props. I, I gotta love that. I, when you when you get smoked that bad, you just gotta kind of say I love it, you know. Um, but it, you know, at a point, a person like me feels like he's being pushed to extremism. Um, on one hand, I feel like I should be in the mainstream. I'm just a regular guy, but I, I feel like sometimes because I do take the Second Amendment seriously, it is kind of my issue and I do sometimes feel like wait a minute when did I become like an extremist and I have to remind myself I'm not I'm, you're I'm not. not you're I'm absolutely just, not I'm just if you're I'm an extremist there. it's only because the center has moved so far yes. in the other direction and I don't I, I really don't think it's that I, th- I, I think, think it's been artificially pulled exactly I well, yes I didn't mean that it was an organic movement right no, I, don't, I'm not even sure. I think that there's an attempt to make it seem as if it is but I do not believe that it is I believe that your mm-hmm. your beliefs are far more in line with what we would call Mr. and Mrs. America today uh, than some of the truly extreme ideas that we hear often spouted about uh, which seem they make the news feeds because they are extreme, yeah. because they do promote the blood sport and the Coliseum. Well, because it leads, it leads. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's all they care about. And that's why I, I have I am extremely jaded and skeptical when it comes to the news media, because I think they serve only themselves. To a large degree, uh, that is true, but I think they also serve uh, uh, a certain philosophy. Mm-hmm. A political philosophy. That is correct. That's right. Well, uh, for the most part. I mean, each media outlet serves its own political philosophy. Although I think all of them are coming closer together than they used to be. I don't think Fox is that different from the others anymore. Yeah. Well, they're all, you know, the, it, Democrats accuse the right of having an echo chamber, a conservative echo chamber between Fox and Rush and all. But both sides... They're both essentially an echo chamber. They right. are. When one of them says it, then they all say it on, on both sides. Yeah, and I think they, they miss the point that most of America is not what they think it is. It's not what they hear on Twitter. Well, it's not even just, it, it's not just that. You know, when I go back to the, to the what started this uh, discussion of this quote, is this, and par- it's, I think partially it's the echo chamber. I mean, yeah. maybe that has a lot to do with it. But... The echo chamber, no matter what it is, because even on the right, there are segments of echo chamber, as there are on the left. Sure, absolutely. Because you could look at the current candidates on the left, they each have a different slice of that party uh, in many ways. Although certain, you know, some of them are fighting over the same slice, but there's some fairly defined segments that they're fighting over. Uh, you saw that four years ago. In the Republican, sure. Uh, Every time so, that you do not have an incumbent, that's going to I be think, part yeah. Of the yeah. Process. I mean, I think you, you could take this whole slate of Democrats that's running right now, and 15 out of the 16, if you took their faces away and their names away, you wouldn't be able to tell from what they say who they are. Right. You're, I mean, you're going to have some that are going to be... Like they're echo, 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 yeah. echo. Uh, they're not, yeah, they don't echo exactly the same thing, but you're going to say, this group does this, this group echoes this. and gr-. <laughs> So, I think that the danger where we have where we have gotten to because of the tribalism and because of this thing about our own interests not being at stake is that our interests are the only ones that matter 
Our interests are the only ones that are important. Our interests are the only ones that are moral. Our interests are the only ones that should matter. There's that magic word. And if our interests are the only ones that should matter, everything is personal. That's why when you disagree with someone today, you hate them. That's right. You're demonized. Nah, it's forget. I mean, it's just it's just a simple statement. You know, I disagree with this this philosopher, this political stand. Why do you? It's, it's like you know, I really I love potatoes. Really, why do you hate broccoli? Yeah, you, you, yeah. We've talked about that before. It, it just strikes me that everything's this fine line. We we talk all the time about defending the individual. Because if you protect the individual, the group takes care of itself. That's right. There's no need for tribalism. Yeah, that's right. Tribalism is the, often the, the at the end. same time. If you push that too far, then it's sinful and it's selfish. There's a difference between protecting the individual and promoting the individual, and I think that's yeah. the tyranny of the majority is still the tyranny. Yeah, whether well, it's, it's in some ways it's become the tyranny of the minority. It's just about a thousand of them. It's a tyranny of a thousand minorities, or so however many. Balance is everything. Certainly. Everything in moderation. Except moderation. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, I always dislike fence sitters. Yes. It's like at some point you've got to come down on one side or the other, but our, our system is geared yeah, towards you have moderation to and compromise. Yeah, yeah that's true. It, 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 is, it is absolutely designed... To produce compromise. That's mm. the whole point of the delegation of powers. That's right. It's considered the only just solution because that way you really want everyone to win. They may not well, win yes. completely. Compromise doesn't have to mean everybody loses. That is correct. Yeah. Everybody gets a little something that they want. It's right. The that's the intention. Of all. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to be done. And that's not where we are anymore. That's right. Very few people recognize that. Yeah. And that's, again, so my interests are the only ones that are important. Screw yours. Well, we've done a really downer of an episode, guys. No, 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 no. We, we stood up for the individual. Okay. We we stood up for the sovereignty of a nation. Uh-huh. We discounted tribalism. Uh-huh. We we condemned uh, strongly selfish, selfish, self-centered uh, behavior. Yes. We uh, we mainstreamed Huey Newton. We did. <laughs> we yeah. We had two great movies. We had two incredible films. Um, we've been all over the place in this episode. We I have. Was... But you know what? Again, once again, all three of these went together extremely well. Yeah, it's it, amazing it, how we managed that. I don't, yeah, it's stunning on the surface of it, but it all went from one thing to the next to the next. Who has next. power versus who doesn't, to tribalism, mm-hmm. to self-interest. Yeah. Wow. That's Funny so how we do that. Well... Uh, We're just that good. <laughs> I was going to say, again, uh, our heads might not fit back out the door. Well, even black we squirrels home. find the nuts every once in a while. That's guys. true. Uh, even a snake or an otter can find a... Uh, That's right. All right. Uh, so, gentlemen, uh, uh, raise our glass. Uh, one final time, 1792. Uh, oh, episode. yes. Uh, excellent job. And so, Francis, what do we have coming up next week? We're back to our heroes next time. We're... we're we did one on Ulysses S. Grant a few months ago, and we said we can't not do Sherman. And uh, and Martin jumped up and says, I've got to do that one, I've got to do that one, i got to do that one. So you're going to captain that yeah, one. But we're going to actually it. go back, you know, new subject, completely new subject. We're going back to the Civil War, uh, and we've got some Civil War stuff planned for later in this year, so we'll be doing a lot of this time. This is kind of a primer on that, is William Tecumseh Sherman. 
let's talk about him because he was a very polarizing figure. He was a very well-known figure. And I don't think we know him as well as we should know him. That's our kind of our premise. So join us next time. We'll be talking a lot about that. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel. <laughs>